Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. Here we are for episode 17. Thank you for joining us. I'm here with my good friend, Martin. Martin, how are you and what have you been up to this week? I am bright and breezy today. And this week, I have been uh, preaching from the good book, Generative AI. I was at a digital marketing conference over in Leicester, about 300 people in the room. And I was doing a session about how to uh, basically prepare for a future powered by uh, AI when it comes to your marketing. You have all of these new AI tools and what should people know? couple of interesting things from that talk, Paul. First one was that uh, at the same conference last year, I asked people how many people had used AI. About 10% of the people put their hand up last year. This year, I would say 95% of the room had done. It was overwhelmingly uh, a sea of hands went up. Uh, the vast majority, ChatGPT, and specifically the free version of ChatGPT. So not many people getting their hands on GPT-4 just yet. Um, but the other thing that came out of that uh, conference was uh, a little a little bit of presentation magic, Paul. Oh, what, I des- what I decided to do with the talk was um, I wanted to incorporate some audience interaction. So at the start of the talk, I was going through a few uh, stats about where the state of AI at the moment and the McKinsey report that said about 4 trillion being added to the global GDP from generative AI. But I also asked people in the audience who had used chat GPT and what their use cases were. So a couple of members in the audience had, uh, they, they told me their name, told me where the business was. And I, and I made sure to repeat this very loud for the rest of the room. So I would say, oh, this is Mohammed, and you're a graphic designer and you've been using it to create press releases. And how has that been? And he told me the good and the bad. And, and I did that with another audience member as well. As the talk went on, I uh, got to the, uh, to the end of the, the session and nobody in the room um, kind of saw this coming. I said, you, you really want to experiment with these tools, particularly trying out uh, something like ChatGPT with Zapier. Now, obviously, we've played about with the great OpenAI Zapier integration, which gives you access to Whisper, the audio transcription tool. So what I'd done is I'd pre, uh, preloaded uh, a file in Google Drive uh, to when a new file goes into that drive, goes into Whisper, and a sequence of steps occurs. Long story short, taking the audio clip, uh, transcribing that, turning the transcription into a blog post, and publishing it in real time on medium.com, on a Medium blog, with an image created from Dali. Again, that's taken from the audio prompt as well. And uh, when I did it, I had no idea if it was going to work. The night before, I tested it and it had failed. And I tested it three or four times before and it had worked. But this one time, it had failed on me. Um, And I thought, oh dear, this this is bad. And there was no one in the audience that knew that that I was doing. So none of the tech team... Uh, could give me a kind of thumbs up to tell me that it had worked. I was just, just you know, it, there was going to be a big reveal. Anyway, so I said, uh, at the end, I said, oh, and you can even, I said to the audience, you can even use this to write and publish a blog post without even touching a keyboard. 
And I got my Medium blog up. And fortunately for me, there was a blog. And uh, so I thought that great tick, hurdle number one overcome. Started reading through it. And no one really understood the kind of relevance of this. It all seemed a bit generic until I got to two paragraphs where it mentioned the business owners I'd spoken to. It had their names, the company they were from, and their use cases. And when I read that out, there was an audible gasp in the room as people were like, how has he done that? That is magic. Um, so yeah, that was deeply satisfying. Uh, as someone who's done a little bit of stand-up comedy in years gone by, great when you can get a laugh from an audience, but getting an audible gasp as people were just shocked was a, yeah, a good moment. That is awesome. So you had it auto, you, you recorded audio while you were speaking, stopped the audio at some point through it, and then that triggered the rest of the workflow while you just finished your talk. Yeah. And so I managed back to, to it at the end and it was all written as a blog post for you. Yeah. And, and then that was, you know, that was the most nervy thing because I had it recording in my pocket. Um, and then I went over to the lectern, I had to kind of sneak out my phone on the lectern, put it in front of me and I had to press stop, upload to Google drive. It was, I knew that it was only four clicks and it was fairly straightforward. I, I drilled it a few times, but you know, 5g could have dropped like the signal in the room could have been terrible. And it might not have uploaded the file and it, there were any number of things that could have gone wrong and I could have looked like a bit of a mug at the end, but um, fortunately I didn't. I love that. Great story. Um, I was at Vistage this week. I think that was probably one of the more exciting things that happened to me this week. We, um, I'm a member of Vistage, which is like a CEO um, peer learning network. Um, it's been been hugely valuable um, to to our business and certainly my own personal development. So, if you're a managing director or a CEO out there who is looking for support and places to bounce ideas off and training, I'd highly recommend Vistage. But I was at their conference, their yearly conference in London. And I saw a great talk talk from um, Fireside stat, a chat with um, Stephen Bartlett of Diary of a, a CEO fame, among other things, and, and Dragon's Den. That was really interesting. But the thing that really caught my eye from an AI perspective was I, I went to a breakout talk about AI. Probably the most important and interesting thing for me from the talk was a couple of polls that the speaker ran live during the session. And there was probably, I don't know, 80, 90 people in the room. And the most overwhelming thing stopping people getting started with, with AI was a lack of access to training and also the lack of skills and people in the business who actually know how to leverage AI for the, for the good of the business, which I think we've touched upon briefly on different episodes of the podcast, Martin, but it really drilled it home to me that people are starting to become aware of this, right? You've got your 10% aware of it and have played with it to 95 over the last year or so. But now they're trying to figure out how do we get started? And of course, it made me realize how remiss of us, Martin, how remiss of us that we offer AI training and AI consultancy for businesses in order um, for them to get started with AI. But we never mention it on the podcast because we're spending all of our time diving into the details and all the nitty gritty bits that we love to talk about. Um, but yes, I think that's where businesses are. They're ready to get started, but they don't know where to start, and they're looking for training and help. Um, so if you visit artificiallyintelligentmarketing.com, we're going to add a few more details about the services we can offer around that for those of you that are interested. Um, meanwhile, I had a fantastic day out of Vistage and got to learn loads of great stuff, so it was loads of fun for me. Oh, well, that's uh, always a good 
bonus. And good to see lots of people engaged in the uh, the, the topic of AI. Clearly, um, people are wanting to know a lot more. So, yeah, uh, always happy to help on that front, aren't we? Absolutely. In the interest of helping, let's get into this week's stories. So uh, the main stories this week, we're going to touch on Microsoft bringing AI shopping tools to Bing and Edge. We're going to look at how AI-generated tweets might be more convincing than real people, according to some recent research. We're going to look at KPMG's report on the productivity boost from generative AI and how it could add £31 billion to the UK economy and UK GDP. And we're going to look at a little story around uh, the fact that OpenAI is reportedly planning to turn ChatGPT into a super smart personal assistant for work. So we're going to get into those. We're also going to have a look at Tool of the Week this week, Storybird. Um, and Martin's going to tell us about that. And of course, we've got our short snippets. So let's get into those snippets first and foremost. So the first one is that OpenAI is opening its first expansion office, and it's going to be here in the UK in London. So welcome to the OpenAI team. Um, hit us up if you want to be on the podcast or you fancy a coffee. Ha, ha, ha. Um, we also have uh, Demis Sabis, um, Google DeepMind CEO, saying that its next algorithm will eclipse ChatGPT. So there was a, an interview with Wired Magazine where he mentioned Google um, working on a sort of combined technology where they're going to improve their LLM with some of the techniques used in AlphaGo to give their new system Gemini abilities to do things such as planning and solving complex problems. So that's quite interesting. And um, they were brave enough to come out and say it's going to be much better than GPT-4. So watch that with bated breath. I am very excited by that. I just have a lot of faith in... Asabis and the the DeepMind team. I just love what they've done and their approach that they've taken with um with AlphaGo and AlphaZero. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what what comes of that combination with LLMs. And I think everyone in the industry recognises the the track record and the deep amount of expertise in um in this area within Google. And if they're going to come out and say that, I think we have to take them very seriously i've not been able to find any mention on timeline for that um in terms of us actually seeing it in action but yes be really excited to see when that comes out uh, another short snip snippet you might remember that we spoke on the podcast about dragan which was a research paper showing how you could drag bits of images and the algorithm would be able to adjust them in to make them look Real. So I think the examples we gave were turning a lion's head, extending um, a, a model's shorts into trousers and adjusting a car features and then the rest of the car adjusts around it. Well, now you can uh, access this on Hugging Face. So you can both access the source code and there is a demo. And I had a little play with the demo, Martin. And I have to say, by and large, it lived up to the videos in the research paper, which was quite amazing. I, I took, there's a, there's a model and I took the poor model and I moved the model's right arm right out and I had it, had the model's head turn around to the right quite far, um, almost to the point where it probably would have broken a human's neck. Um, and it did a reasonably good job of making it look like a real representation of what that had looked like if the image had been captured like that. So that was pretty cool. I recommend going and have a, having a play with that. And it'll be interesting to see how quickly this type of technology can be baked into commercial products 
one has to assume um, Adobe Photoshop's AI beta is going to get an update at some point if they can develop similar technologies, right? Um, there was another cool story, this from the one close to my heart from in the life sciences, Martin, uh, from InSilico Medicine. So InSilico is a, a member of the NVIDIA Inception sort of um, group. And we talked a little bit about how NVIDIA had invested in um, and was working with companies to uh, leverage large language models and other AI-based tools to help drive business growth. And in this case, pretty cool because uh, InSilico is entering phase two of clinical trials for a drug candidate that they discovered using their AI platform, which is to treat idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. But why is this really interesting is, according to NVIDIA, doing this the traditional way would have cost more than $400 million and taken up to six years. But using generative AI, InSilico is able to do it in one-tenth of the cost and one-third of the time reaching that first phase of clinical trials um, just two and a half years after beginning the project. And here in the life sciences, it's very well recognized that going from an initial idea to getting a drug to market takes way too long and costs way too much. So this is, again, more evidence, the power of AI um, in the life sciences, especially. Uh, good to see a real world example of that, because it's one of those ones where we hear about the promise of this um, so actually seeing a, a kind of tangible project saying, yeah, this is, we're doing this, this is moving and this is the, the result and the impact. That's great to see. Yeah. Very exciting stuff. Um, looking forward to seeing more such examples, I think over the next two or three years here. Um, we talked a little bit about mid journeys update last week, but since then I've been having a play and seen quite a few examples online. I don't know if you've seen them, Martin, but people have been getting some amazingly interesting effects with this new zoom tool basically creating like infinite zoom outs and then combining them in the Adobe effects or what after effects to create these videos where they start with an image and they zoom out and out and out and out. And half the time the, um, the tool does just a really good job of applying proper context. And some of the times it goes absolutely loopy and like puts an image inside a, a, a photo frame inside a painting. And it's kind of mad. Um, have you seen any of these? Yeah, yeah, I watched one this morning actually, and it was of a, a a plane that had crashed in a in a landscape, and it zoomed out. And in the journey that it zooms out, it must zoom out like it must be like the equivalent to two miles away, and you end up in this cabin almost with a pilot or someone looking out over the landscape where there's basically just been multiple cra- plane crashes. Uh, yeah, they're, they're really impressive. The um, Mid journey updates that came out recently with um, five point two. I've been playing with some of the other ones. Have you tried the shorten um, capability? No, not yet. Tell us about that. So shorten is where you take your existing prompt and you you ask it to shorten it. And what it does is it basically cuts out bits of text that it doesn't think are relevant and it's not going to help get you any better output and it gives you four options and it does aggressively shorten it like the first one is slightly shortened and the last one is basically like hardcore we've reduced this to the absolutely core words that it could be but it is insightful when you see what words do and do not make a difference and i think if you want to become a better prompter in mid journey using this shortened capability will help you understand which adjectives to include or not include or how to maybe structure your sentence so that the 
the primary topic and f- primary focuses are in are in the prompt. Yeah, I, I think that's really good point. I'm definitely going to be playing with that because it is hard to know. And what you end up doing is you get into a pattern where you include certain turns of phrase because you think you need them. Like, I don't know. I see a lot of prompts and I now do this myself that write like photorealistic, 8K, super resolution and all these other things because you think you need it to get the best output. Be interesting to see if they basically all get stripped out or you only need like one turn of phrase like 8K to suggest that you want it to you know, appear really high resolution. The other thing came up, I was having a discussion on LinkedIn. I can't remember if we've mentioned this on the podcast. There's a lot more tools in and prompts in mid-journey than I think a lot of people realize. A lot of people are using um, Imagine, which is the one that you use to generate an image. But my favorite is to use Describe and then feed it an image that I think is really cool. And then it reverse engineers what type of prompt would give you an image like that. And it gives you, I think, four prompt ideas which is absolutely fantastic for then taking that original image idea and then twisting it as you see fit. So to give you something completely novel. So I don't know if you've seen famous actors as fruit or something, and you've seen like, I don't know, Leonardo DiCaprio morph that's morphed into some sort of pineapple. I don't know. I haven't seen, I don't even know what would happen <laughs> if you entered that prompt, please enter that prompt and then tweet us. And, and so we can see it. But then if you wanted to do exactly the same thing and turn a bunch of other um, famous people into fruit, just feed it the image and it will give you like the bare bones of what you needed. And then you could just swap the fruit out and you could swap the the famous person out and then you can get a whole series of images. Are you doing this for us in real time, Martin, so we can see what that like? Oh, crumbs. Okay, well, now at least we've got a uh, an image for this episode of the podcast. Um, so yeah, mid-journey, cool. Go play with it. There's loads of extra power there now. Um, what else have we seen this week? We've seen GPT Author. So I don't know if people have seen this, but um, this has been released on GitHub. Uh, and according to GitHub, this is a project that utilizes a chain of GPT-4 and stable diffusion API calls to generate an original fantasy novel. Users, users can provide an initial prompt and enter how many chapters they'd like it to be. And the AI then generates an entire novel outputting an EPUB file compatible with ebook readers and that you can create a 15 chapter novel for as little as $4 and it will be written in just a few minutes. That's kind of a bit mind blowing. It's not, it's not out of the realms of what you might expect given what we know the tools can do, but the fact that someone's now made that tool available on as an open source on GitHub for people to go play with, I can imagine an explosion now of of book generators, one assumes. Martin, what are your thoughts on that one? Well, how long till the uh, the Booker Prize is won by an AI and the author has to come clean, much like the Sony Photography Award recently? That, that is, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. That is the danger, and one assumes. You know, you can currently ask ChatGPT four to write in the style of famous poets and authors and social media gurus. So. One assumes you could start cranking out novels based on existing authors' works that you really liked, and then that gets muddy. It's like, oh, what would have happened if Michael Crichton had written Jurassic Park 3 instead of all of the series of movies that we eventually got? Well, now we can, you know, pump it into the tool and, and see what we get. So, yeah, I think it'd be, um, I think it'd be really interesting to see uh, how that all, um, how that all shakes out. Um, and then the last little snippet is actually an update 
on a story that we've already featured, but I think maybe it's interesting to revisit, which is um, this concept that Amazon is building a large language model marketplace um, as part of its sort of bedrock solution for for uh, its AWS customers. And we've talked about this before, but I think the reason this is especially interesting to hear this come up is I've also heard recently that OpenAI are thinking about doing something similar. And also, I think as marketers get to grip with the base level capabilities of an open AI ChatGPT type tool for simple content generation, I'm meeting lots of business owners and marketers who wish that they had access to an LLM that understands their own business and their own content and their own internal information better to be able to produce things that are more customized, customized to them, either as an internal knowledge product um, so that you almost have like a, an Ask Jeeves, but for internal stuff, it's like, oh, where do, who do I go to to find this out? And um, what document contains information on this technical aspect of this product or whatever it may be? Also things like, obviously driving more company-specific content production for content marketing, which I think is a common use case already. The concept of creating customer service chatbots that are really well-trained on all your own service materials. Um, and I'm getting asked more and more, like, how would I go about doing this? Um, and one assumes that, therefore, this this marketplace from Amazon could make that easier. So if, if you're a product manager or a marketer, you probably need to keep an eye on this space as it becomes easier and easier to develop large language models on your own information for marketing sales and you know customer support use cases without all of the technical complexity that would go into it. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting to see how that evolves. Yeah, I agree. I think the one thing with all of that, because I'm getting a lot of people asking me as well about this, how do you create these kind of knowledge bases? And to a certain extent, I think, you know, the co-pilots of this world, when all of your documentation can be read by co-pilot, for, certainly for an internal knowledge base for employees. I think um, I'm expecting Microsoft or Google Workspace AI to do a lot of the heavy lifting there. So um, obviously, if you need a customer facing one, I think there's going to be lots of solutions coming forward. But um, yeah, interesting the proposition from uh, from Amazon there. Yeah, and I might maybe I'm being overly optimistic but i'm kind of disappointed that we haven't i, I know that there are, are betas and that some people have some access to windows copilot and others have access to some of the um the part of google's palm models in google docs and gmail but i kind of i was expecting stroke hoping for a, a slightly wider rollout of those tools by now um, and we haven't seen it yet so they're built because they've Beated them, but they're not rolling them out that quickly. So, what can we read into that? Is it do we think it's technical infrastructure that's going to slow that down? Because obviously, there's a lot of compute power that's going to be needed to, to fuel that. Um, is it the tools don't perform that well in the hands of real people doing real use cases? And so, actually figuring that out and ironing out the kinks is slowing things down. I don't know. What do you think? Is this? Is this timeline, am I being overly optimistic? Is everything playing out as as you might expect? Or do you think we should maybe have this by now? I, I thought we'd have it in autumn, to be honest, when, when they announced it. I think you've touched on a few things. The compute power, turning this on overnight and giving this to the world, everyone with Windows 11 or what have you, um, 
and things, a few things might might fall over. But also, I mean, early testing. I've seen a few headlines and a few tweets. People aren't blown away with with it so far. Um, so maybe it's just a case of, do you know what? This is just going to take a lot more, um, a lot more testing, a lot more uh, real world. Get it in the hands of users that are going to break things. That would make sense. And, you know, we know these thick tools are prone to hallucination and you have to very precisely brief them currently to get exactly what you want. And yeah, I think, yeah, I think that all makes sense. Right. Should we move on to our main stories for the week? And let's start with Microsoft bringing AI shopping tools to Bing and Edge. So you, you spotted this. What were your thoughts on this? Yeah, so they've, uh, Microsoft have announced a new AI-powered shopping tool for Bing and Bing AI chatbot, which is available in the Edge uh, sidebar browser. Um, so this new tool set includes an automatic buying guide generator, which uses Bing's GPT-powered AI to aggregate and list product specs for comparison and purchasing. Uh, so as part of this, the buying guide uh, will pull in content from a bunch of different websites. Uh, it's a, at the moment, I believe it's only available in the US, but worldwide rollout is coming soon. A couple of interesting points from the buying guide that it generates. It has AI generated review summaries. So it's taking lots of reviews and then summarizing them all to give you the kind of the good, the bad, the highlights and what have you. There's another feature that I thought was particularly interesting. And you can see here how. AI is being monetized, um, and that's the price match tool. So what they're doing is that they're putting in a price match tool that helps users to request a price match from retailers. Now, it's expected or it's thought that Microsoft are getting an affiliate fee. They're getting some commission on the sales through these buyer's guides. Um, so that's how they're going to actually uh, monetize this as a strategy. But yeah, this is a, I thought it was a really smart use case and definitely one for e-commerce companies to be aware of in terms of how do you get your products into these buyer's guides we this, on the one hand if you know this is i think this is good for for consumers and and to an extent um good for for product marketers and uh resellers but if you're a publisher it, you know how many if i think about last time i bought a bit of tech in fact, the last bit of tech that I bought was um, well, it was my PC. I think I've mentioned it recently. I bought my new PC. How many blog posts, how many articles did I read on the likes of Tech Radar, on the likes of uh, is it Tom's Guide, um, on all of these net and all these other platforms with the the best, the ten best laptops of twenty twenty three style thing? Yeah, yeah, all of that. They are. They are going to be sitting up and going, ooh, yeah. Bing is coming for our, uh, it's going to eat our lunch. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, there's the impact on e-commerce stores and how can you get into these these sort of automated buying guides, if you like. But I saw a post on um, on LinkedIn this week, slightly tangential, but related, um, about the best tools for SEO were writing listicles and how-to guides um and that may still be accurate today i don't think it'll be accurate for very long and personally i wouldn't i probably wouldn't invest a huge amount of time and energy in those because i think they're going to be usurped by generative ai 
that basically gives people those that type of information naturally in the in the response that you get from the tool yeah you already see that coming in in the examples of google's um search generative experience you know listicles being written you even see listicles that are listing websites without actually linking to the website which is which is crazy to me i have to think that they'll um do slightly more for publishers uh, rather than just eating all of their content and regurgitating it uh, but yeah i think if you're if you're in that game you've got to be start start diversifying how you uh, create content yeah i think where where my head starts to melt is these tools are being have been trained on and one assumes will continue to be trained on whatever content they can get their hands on which means the web right but if we all now stop developing content in 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 emerging areas like let's all decide oh listicles how to's the, the common go to type of content is not worth doing now because you won't get ranked or people won't click on your stuff because it will just be in a generative search result. Well, a new area in science emerges, uh, or, you know, a new technique, which happens a lot. The tool can't write a how-to. It's got nothing to absorb and and to crawl and to, and to learn from. So... Does that mean that how-tos and listicles can continue, but you have to stay right at the cutting edge of material, producing um, producing information that's going to be things that the, you know the tools haven't been trained on yet because it's so new? So do we end up with like a window of opportunity on the, on the how-tos and the listicles and, and what have you until just enough content's been generated that now the uh the chat gpts of the world have now been trained on it and they can regurgitate it too what do you think about that yeah well i think that's the case for a lot of companies as it is anyway a good example from my own blog is that i was ranking really well with a blog that was the best text to image or the best ai text to image generators and i was updating this monthly up until about september october last year uh, and i was getting a good amount of traffic from that um because you know, it was first mover advantage. There wasn't many people talking about it uh, and you could get a lot of traffic through that. But now, you know, everyone's written that, that blog post has been copied probably, there's probably 20 different versions of it on the likes of tech radar or, or what have you. Um, so trying to outrank those is, is just too difficult now. Mm. But I think what's changing is who the, who the big competitor is. No longer is it the big publishing houses, you know, not HubSpot writing the blog and me going, there's no way I'm going to outrank HubSpot. Now it's, well, I'm not trying to outrank. Uh, I'm, I just don't want Google to rewrite my article and present it as its own work, which it inevitably will do. Yeah, of a form, of a form. I am, um, when I was out and about this week, I had uh, someone described um, ChatGPT and other tools as regurgitating the information that in their training data, which it's not strictly true, is it? It's probability-based engine, yada, yada. But certainly using you as inspiration and a ton of other people, Martin, uh, to produce some content that um, you used to get a lot of commercial value out of, and then you'll quickly get zero. I don't know if you follow uh, Lily Ray on uh, on Twitter. Um, she's an SEO um, influencer. Uh, she's been following the Google SGE 
process and doing lots of tweets about it. And she's actually found examples where search generative experience uh, is just copying blocks of text verbatim. It isn't rewriting it there and it is just, it is presenting it as its own and it's very clearly a paragraph of text written elsewhere. Wow. So we've actually got this blurred line between the models understanding how to communicate as humans from their large training data sets. And then, of course, because Google has access to all the world's information indexed as part of its search algorithm, actually then going and grabbing chunks of text and then just pasting them in amongst its its natural LLM put. Yep. And not giving credit. So it's it's like a featured snippet except you don't even get the link and the referral. They've, they've just taken your text without giving you the signposting. Oh, the world is so very grey at the moment. Right, with that in mind, let's move on to our next story, which is kind of similar to what we've been talking about, really. So story number two here is that AI-generated tweets might be more convincing than real people, according to some recent research. So um, we saw this story on The Verge, and um, in this report, a recent study found that people trust AI-generated tweets, in this case, those written by GPT-3, more than those written by humans. So the research involved a survey where people were asked to identify the source of a tweet and determine its validity, and some of the tweets were from humans, and some of the tweets were created by GPT-3. The tweets focused on various scientific topics, including vaccines and climate change. So also, you know, potentially quite controversial topics. And it involved 697 participants in the UK, Australia, Canada, the US and Ireland. And they covered um, 11 different topics, uh, including topics where the content of the tweets was accurate, but some that was deliberately inaccurate. And the results showed that people struggled to distinguish between human written and GPT-3 written tweets, and were more likely to accept both accurate and inaccurate information if it was written by the AI. So Giovanni Spitali, the study's lead author, was very keen to emphasize that the technology itself isn't good or evil, but it's just amplifying human intentions. And that the, the study itself, which was in Science Advances, concluded that GPT-3 generated content um, was indistinguishable from organic content. The research suggests that improving training data sets could prevent the misuse of these tools for disinformation, noting that GPT-3 resisted generating false content about vaccines and autism, potentially due to the amount of debunking information in the training data set, and that ultimately, Spitali advocates for fostering critical thinking skills as the most effective long-term strategy for countering disinformation. So a fascinating story because we're not even talking GPT-4 here, we're talking its predecessor. Tweets are not exactly the longest form content in the world, so probably reasonably easy for it to do a half-decent job in the character limits that you find on Twitter. But the idea that people just really couldn't tell the difference is further evidence that if you wanted to create lots of uh, Twitter content at scale using bots for things like disinformation campaigns, your average person's probably not going to be able to tell truth from fact. What were your thoughts about this story, Mike? I like the conclusion, certainly, about fostering critical thinking skills. I think this is, uh, you know, good advice in the round. 
Yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, in the context of uh, disinformation and AI. It actually brought to mind um, the story from a few weeks ago where the research paper was about the email responses from doctors or GPT-4 or so. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was 3.5, the- if I remember right. And the AI was more empathetic um, and that kind of thing. And and it just reminded me of that. I think we shouldn't be surprised when people are taken in by AI written uh, AI written content anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, basically the, the verdict's in on that, which is in a lot of use cases, we can't really tell the difference. It's funny, I was, I've had a number of conversations this week about what does AI do for education and how things are changing. And I think a lot of the frustrations with the education system, both from people in it, outside of it, not an expert in this, and just mostly just repurposing conversations I've had and things that I've heard is having school, schooling moving as far away from learning to remember versus learning to think and critically analyze and question and be curious and seek sources, which I realize is a big part of how schooling already works, but really going in all, all in on that is probably going to be critical because when you've got tools that can surface, I mean, we've had this with the web really for years, but it's even easier now to go to a chat GPT and ask questions, but needing to be able to think about how to assess what you've been told and, and double check the sources is going to be critical because, and it's going to be exhausting for us as humans, honestly having to validate everything that you see online because it could have been created by um, a bot that got it wrong or it could have been created by a bot but as part of like a deliberate misinformation program that we need to teach people and kids especially how to do that but i also think the cognitive load that's going to place on humans to do that due diligence is going to be a lot and so I guess what we'll see is an emergence of bots that help us understand uh, the outputs of bots and do that due diligence for us. But then who controls the bots and, Im- and influences and trains the bots that do the due diligence, right? And it all just turns into this crazy, ongoing, confusing, never-ending, infinite paradox of grey. Um, so, yeah, interesting story. And I do, I do start to worry a bit about disinformation and the ability to create this type of content at scale yeah absolutely and it's it's right to um when it's so easy to create content um and the rewards are as high as they are then and you know this goes from seo through to trying to orchestrate a coup <laughs> the, 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 the uh, it's easy to do so you have to assume that people's thirst for uh reward will will lead them down that path i coo didn't agree more martin and with that next <laughs> story um so story number three this week is a kpmg report uh productivity boosts from generative ai could add 31 billion pounds of gdp to the uk economy so you saw this story martin tell us a bit more about this Yet another report coming out from the big consultancies after we heard uh, McKinsey's report on generative AI recently and Morgan Stanley, their report 
so yeah, this one's f- focusing specifically on the UK. And as you said, uh, they're saying that generative AI could contribute an additional 31 billion to the UK's GDP annually, which equates to a 1.2% boost in productivity. Now, if you know anything about UK productivity over recent years, you would know that uh, being able to get a 1.2% boost would be seized upon uh, as a great opportunity because, quite frankly, we've had terrible productivity growth in recent years. So on average, about 2.5% of tasks could be performed by generative AI, impacting 40% of jobs in some capacity. Uh, This figure is lower than the OpenAI research that they conducted into the US jobs market. And, you know, I imagine that they're fairly similar in terms of makeup of jobs. Um, maybe, uh, you know, maybe the answer lies somewhere in the middle or KPMG haven't really grasped the full capabilities of uh, generative AI uh, and the potential impact of, you know, a multimodal system like GPT-4, uh, which, you know, the, the image inputs haven't really come to the market yet. So we're maybe not not accounting for that. Anyway, so it says, while 10% of jobs could see significant effects, now that is where over 5% of the tasks are impacted, 60% of jobs may see minimal to no direct impact from generative AI. It goes on to look at which areas are most effective, uh, affected. Sorry, so they say uh, creative occupations, text-based AI could automate 43% of tasks for authors, writers, and translators. Graphic designers could see 15% of tasks automated. Whereas jobs in retail, customer services, hospitality, construction, and manufacturing are among the 60% of occupations expected to see almost no impact. Um, which does chime with the OpenAI report in terms of what jobs are not going to be impacted. You know, it did tend to be that more um, uh, manual. You know, it, you did see it was the trades weren't going to be impacted. The one that stands out to me in here that I I don't buy, in fact, there's two of them, uh, retail to a certain extent, because I think generative AI will have a role to play in that. But customer services... I'm surprised by that. Yeah, yeah that doesn't I, doesn't make sense to me. While you were while you were telling us about that story, I was really that those were the two for me. And I think without diving deep into the report, I want to be careful about what I say because I don't know the details of the report. But for me, it doesn't take a huge amount of imagination to to see how the combination of synthetic video, synthetic voice, and generative AI, which is not really a future tech. Like if you look at companies like Synthesia and a bunch of other companies that are creating um, synthetic humans, I think it's MetaHuman is, a, is another platform that you can create really realistic looking people with really realistic sounding voices and they're getting better. If you think about where that technology even was 12 months ago, the people look more realistic than ever and less uncanny valley. And the voices have that natural intonation to speech about that's more like how real people talk with ums and ahs and pauses and and all of that stuff too. It's hard for me not to imagine a time where, like, even if I go into a store, I would look for advice from someone. 
you know, we're buying from self-service checkouts. We've adopted those. Went into my local co-op supermarket the other day and there's six self-service checkouts and there's only one human checkout. And most of the people who are in a rush go straight to the self-service because, hey, boom, I'm in, I'm out. Why not self-service tablets where you can have a full-on conversation with someone? I think that's coming. So, and, and of course, you can imagine that in an in-person retail setting and in an in-person customer service setting. Why am I not having that conversation at the front desk of a hotel? I think I could well, right? I'm, I'm not sure that's going to be a human. Um, how many years that's going to take, I'm not sure. So, yeah, I, I'm like you. I, I'm a bit surprised by those two. The, um, the report goes on to say that in order for us to actually realize these productivity gains, there are changes in work practices. We're going to need to enhance skills and it's going to require significant digital investment. Uh, these are the prerequisites for, for, uh, for actually turning these productivity gains into reality. Uh, and it goes on to say that while widespread job losses aren't expected, skills mismatches may occur in the short term as the labor market adjusts. And yeah, that definitely feels right to me. I think there's going to be some, um, there's some catching up to do as we started out with this session. People are, are thirsty for training in this domain. And when people see what it can do and they immerse themselves in it, they're, they're really surprised and, and kind of, uh, if they've got, a, if they've got a brain that can kind of, you know, if they're a creative thinker and can think outside of tell it to do this and it will do this, but they can go, Oh, what about if I, in fact, actually, this is one of the things that I find when I'm doing the training sessions on chat GPT. Right. People will say to me, could it do this? And I'm always like, well, just try it. Just, just give it a go. Like, don't ask me if it can do it. Like, just, just get stuck in. And I think if you're, if you're someone that's a bit of a tinkerer or can, is prepared to kind of poke things and see how it responds and reacts, um, you, you'll immerse yourself in it. But I think there's a lot of people that don't have that inquisitiveness. So they do need a lot of, um, they are going to need training and, and, that's where um, employers need to start start investing. I think you're absolutely right. I think there's also going to be a group of people who they don't have time to figure out how to make it work well for them. They want someone to just shortcut that process for them who's had a play, learned all the things, you know, learned the shortcuts, learned the holes, and can basically just prime them in a two or three hour session this is how to be productive right away. Don't spend two, three weeks trying to figure it out or months, maybe in some cases, how to figure it out yourself. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think the other thing I took from this story, sort of big picture style, again, coming back to my experience at Vistage this week, we had a, a great session from Roger Martin Fag, who sort of um, Vistage's economist in residence, I guess, if you like who often has some very interesting and sometimes quite provocative views. And he's been speaking for, several years about the resource gap in the UK, the labor gap. And obviously we're thinking in terms of, of job losses potentially driven by AI, but within the Vistage community, we've been talking for several years now about declining birth rates uh, in the UK over the last 20 to 30 years a number of people taking early retirement during or just after the pandemic and the, and that gap in terms of enough people to do a lot of the jobs. We've got a, 
very services driven and in some cases knowledge worker based driven economy in the UK now and where are we going to get our productivity gains if we don't have enough people to do those jobs um and i think more and more there's a hope that ai is going to help enhance the productivity certainly in economies like the uk's where there is that big labor shortage so when you look at it through that lens it's actually maybe quite exciting and something to embrace, especially here in the UK, is something that maybe we need to try and find ways to supercharge our economy, which, let's be honest, is struggling when you lose a number, use a number of different metrics and you look at growth and inflation in, in other um, Western countries. You know, It's not looking great for the UK at the moment. So honestly, it may be that stuff like generative AI is going to be needed to help boost our economy and get it where it needs to be. That said, we're not the only country that has uh, generative AI. So that is all relative, isn't it? If we get a 1.2% boost, you can assume that all other countries are going to get a similar kind of boost. Countries that have a similar economic uh, and labour market landscape as ours, which many Western economies do. So it's not like we're going to be catching up on companies, uh, sorry, countries that we're uh, we're slipping behind. Okay, let's get ourselves into story number four. I think we're on number four, which is that OpenAI is reportedly planning to turn ChatGPT into a super smart personal assistant for work. So we won't hover on this too long because it won't be mind blowing to a number of you that listen to the podcast. But there's a few things in here that might be interested. So. It was reported this week in The Decoder that OpenAI's latest business plans were revealed in an exclusive by The Information, citing Sam Altman, OpenAI's CEO and two insiders. The business version of ChatGPT could be equipped with in-depth knowledge of individual employees and their workplaces, providing personal assistance tasks such as drafting emails or documents in an employee's unique style and incorporating the latest business data. So why is this interesting for marketers? Well, A, we're expecting to have this power through Windows Copilot and um, Google's BARD or their large language model or however that then is branded and manifests itself. Um, But we talked at the beginning of the podcast that this is taking its time to get into the hands of a lot of people. So is there an opportunity here for OpenAI to sidestep that process and put a more informed version of ChatGPT in our hands, especially because a lot of people I speak with have been using it for creating blog posts and social posts and marketing-driven content creation, which I think is great at. But whenever you try and use it to create emails and stuff in your voice, it's a bit more of a painful process. And this would be a welcome addition for a lot of other use cases within businesses outside of writing blog posts, et cetera. So I think it'll be interesting to see. Now, it's that might trigger a race, which the whole open AI field and, uh, sorry, sort of generative AI field feels like a race that open AI sort of bribed the starter's gun to go off early and then everyone else is like, oh, sprint, and, and everybody's running after it. I think if, if, if open AI are able to release a, or find a way to, to empower chat GPT to, absorb company information and write in your own style and all these other things that we expect window Copi- windows copilot etc to do we might ironically then just get access to those tools earlier which i still think 
given the fact that we baked into all the other tools we use are going to probably be easier to use and, and better. Um, but again, we might thank OpenAI for triggering faster and easier access to them if indeed this turns out to be true. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this, Mike? OpenAI and Microsoft are sure rubbing up against each other quite a lot, aren't they? This is the the dynamic that I'm really curious about. They They seem to be uh partners but at the same time absolute competitors and rivals in certain domains uh, similarly i read a report recently that open ai didn't want um bing ai to be published uh, quite as as fast as it was with with chat gpt uh and gpt4 sorry uh powering it i think they wanted a few more guardrails uh in the, this made me think of Pi, which I know that you've been been playing with. Um, I've I've still not had a go with Pi. I think it's because it's on iOS only at the moment. Uh, I think you can use it through the web interface. Oh, you can get it on um, uh, WhatsApp, SMS. I think even Facebook Messenger. Uh, can you? Yeah, right. Yeah. I need to have a, a dig in with that then, and um, and, and have a play. Um, yeah, is, is, am I am I right in thinking that these sound like similar? Tools, or have I misunderstood Pi? I think my experiences with Pi is that it wants to be an assistant that remembers a lot of the things that you tell it and gets to know you better. Can I ask it to write me an email and send it? No, not as far as I, I haven't really tried, but then some of the more basic tasks I've asked it of, it's, it's struggled a bit. I, th I think definitely... There is a race to create an AI customized to be your personal assistant based on, you know, you. Whether whether there's ends up being a blur between like one assistant that helps you with work and play and personal life and all those other things, or whether or not you end up with um multiple different assistants, I'm not sure. Definitely there's a lot of companies and a lot of money betting on personal assistance of some sort. As a as a slight aside, but that's probably related, I'd mostly been asking Pi things like, oh, I I want to have this difficult conversation. What would be like a good way to go about it? Like almost like bit like personal coachy type stuff. And I think it'd been doing a reasonably good job. It's a little bit annoying in that it ends every conversation element like every bit of chat with another question to the point where you're like look i really want to stop talking to you now it's like it's almost trying to addict you to it but it doesn't really work it just annoys so um there's some feedback from the developers um this week i actually asked it something a bit more businessy i asked it to try and write me a blog post because i heard on a, a podcast with one of the co-founders that that it was on par with gpt4 with a lot of stuff and i thought mm, i'm not sure that's been my experience so i started to play with it Creating a blog post with it was a nightmare circular conversation because right. it just wants to keep asking questions. So you'll say, look, I want this. Give me an outline for a blog post on this. And it's like, okay, well, here's some things that we could include. Do you think these are good? And I'm like, yes, okay. Okay, and what about this? Do you think this is good? Yeah, yeah, okay. So I'm like, can I just have the outline, please? And they're like, yeah, okay, what about this question? I'm like, oh, and I just gave up, right? So I think based on that very limited experience, I think we're going to see a bit of a horses for courses here, and there's going to be a bunch of different AIs that do different things for us. Um, 
whether or not they get really good at understanding us over time and their use cases and applicability expands and then one particular bot takes over. I don't know. But yeah, that's been my experience. Right. Okay. Interesting to to hear that reflection. Um, if OpenAI's proposed assistant does the things that it's saying it's going to do, uh, I'm excited for it. I, I, they're a company that I think um, so far are delivering on their promises. Well, I say delivering on their promises. They're not delivering GPT-4 API access to me yet. Not that they did promise, but I did fill out that early access request form some time ago. So, you know, chop, chop, Sam. I'm sure he's personally signing off form of the... Uh... I, I filled that form in five times. I'm thinking <laughs> if I just become really annoying, yeah. I'm going to try and crash whatever server, whatever system they're running on. Which is con- in fact, I'm going to ask chat GPT, how can I convince them? What should I tell them to get um, GPT-4 API access? And if they don't give it to me, how can I bring their system down? I wonder if it would give me that advice. They're going to have to upgrade their compute capabilities just to handle your form submissions. Absolutely. Yeah, it's bot on bot action. Right. Um, <laughs> with that <laughs> little uh, little nugget, um, let's move on to our tool of the week. And we're nearly done. Thanks for bearing with us, listeners. Um, we're going to talk about Storybird. So you've been playing with Storybird, Martin. What's been going on? Storybird is a neat idea that I'm sure lots of people have had when they thought about the possibilities of stories being able to be written by AI, uh, coupled with images being able to be created by AI. So your DALI is just able diffusion type images. Uh, wouldn't it be great if you could just uh, write a prompt and then it would turn that prompt into a story uh, that you can then uh, get images created for you. It's laid out all of the, the text and the pages, and then you could have that printed and you could give uh, you know, you'd give one of your loved ones, maybe the, a child in your life, you could give them a, a personalized story. And that's what Storybird promises, create personalized stories using AI. The way that it works is you uh, start off with a thousand character prompt. So you've got to write a kind of summary of the story. And the more detail you give it, as is the way with these things, the more detail you give it, the better the output is. So if you kind of, uh, if you're quite tight with your, um, you know, if there's characters, you can just kind of put in brackets next to their name a few traits for them. You might say um, strong or scared or courageous or whatever, and it will incorporate that into the story. Um, does it work? Uh, yeah, it does. It does work. It creates a story. I, I put in a story for my lad about tractors, and it gave me a story, and the story was fine. That's what I would say. I don't think the storytelling it was fine. It was fine. Uh, I, I wasn't blown away with the quality of the output. Um, I only did try the, the one story, and I felt like my prompt had enough detail in it to have a more, well, just to have more, 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 more drama. Drama is probably the wrong word. I mean, it was a story about tractors looking for a plow with some pigs and sheep and goats. Uh, but just something that was slightly more engaging. Um, <clears throat> I think the biggest issue that they've got at the moment, and they do address this directly in the in the tool itself, is that due to the way that images are created using this, uh, diffusion models, um, the, the images aren't consistent of the characters. So 
uh, tractor, the tractor in my story, it created as a green tractor. But the style, every time the green tractor appeared, it was a completely different style of tractor. So there's no consistency throughout the story. And that's something that they said they're working on. And it's understandable that, um, that that isn't quite there yet. Once you've created your story, if you're happy with it, and you can regenerate the images, so you can, it gives you the text, gives you the image, you can change each of those elements as you see fit. Uh, once you're happy with outputs that you've got, you can then actually order the book to be printed on demand via Amazon for about $26, and it will be printed and shipped to you. So it's a really novel idea. The interface is very, very easy to use. It's, you know, it's designed to be kind of idiot proof. Um, and I did demonstrate that quite effectively. Um, and it, yeah, it works. It's, it, it's neat. It's, I, what I like is that it's someone putting together a very nice UX UI to do something that lots of people have said would be a cool idea to do, which is create personalized AI generated storybooks. But it does need to work on making those stories slightly more interesting. It's yeah, it's an interesting concept. I think when I think about it as a marketer, a great way to communicate is to tell stories. I think some of my favorite business books are not dry textbooks. They are business fables like um, Five Dysfunctions of a, of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Love that one. Um, a bunch, you know, basically anything that brings the message you're trying to get home to life with real characters and in a story. And I think I could definitely imagine not this tool, because I think for obvious reasons, it's targeted at a very specific demographic. You know, if they say on their homepage, empowering young writers to create unique stories with amazing illustrations, there's a very specific target market here. But how as sales folk and marketing folk can we storify the messages we're sharing about our products? Maybe there'll be an AI for that, right? Thinking even further, um, I was giving a, a workshop, a, a webinar about ways to make your budget go further in an economic downturn and how it's um, five times more expensive to generate a new customer than it is keep and grow an existing customer and how can you delight your customers and we talked a lot in that webinar about how to delight people but at scale so for example you can generate handwritten notes using tools like like handwritten um but it's done in an automated fashion well you could imagine creating interesting bits of content for existing customers or new prospects um at scale with images and text that are created by an AI based on a story scaffold that you give it, which might be the challenge, start with the, 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 the protagonist, which is your customer at the beginning. And then what happens is they're on their journey with you and your business as the guide and how they come out the other end as a successful hero, perhaps incorporating specific things that end up in your CRM about their particular challenges or business or use case or whatever. So Actually, it doesn't take a huge amount of imagination to try and start thinking about how these tools could be used in a in a business context. No, quite. And, you know, it's just, uh, again, I've said it before, stick a nice UI on it, make it functional for people, and you've got yourself a nice product. Absolutely. And another thing we say a lot on this podcast is these tools are as bad as they're ever going to get. Yeah. Right? They're only going to yeah. get better from here. So if they... If they suck a bit at A, B, or C, 
they're probably going to get better. And what's interesting about having so much access to the APIs of a lot of these products, and including you know um, companies like Meta making so much stuff open source, I think they're learning huge amounts about how people how people want to use them, how businesses want to use them, where it goes wrong. I mean, if you are Stable Diffusion, um, sorry, Stability uh, AI, or if you're um, developing Midjourney, you must know that unleashing a, co- a commercial application of your business is the ability to keep um, subjects in images the same across image sets, right? And I know you can use the seed yeah. um, tool for that, so there is some control, um, but the image generation tool that makes that easy both through UI, but also like really being able to precisely manage characters and and uh, and other features within an image and keep them consistent across an image set is going to open up much more additional power from a commercial perspective. Whether that's writing books and and graphic novels through to business contexts, right? So that's applying a commercial pressure to the developers of these tools to get those things built, whereas they may not have previously realised how important that's going to be to people. But now they know. Mm. Cool. Um, Well, thanks for sharing that tool with us. Lots of uh, fun to be had with that, Martin. I think I might go and have a little play. Um, Hopefully, everybody has enjoyed today's podcast. If you like it, please subscribe. If you think other people would benefit from it, please share it with them. It really helps us as a podcast when you share it with with your friends and industry colleagues. So please do. You can learn loads more about the podcast and us at www.artificiallyintelligentmarketing.com. And that's the URL to share with your friends. Um, Other than that, thank you so much for your time, Martin. Great hanging out with you as always. Speak to you next week. Cheers, bud. Bye. Thank you for listening to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. To stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.